tonight's scripture is Romans 8:28. For we know that all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and who are the called according to his purpose. This is the word of the Lord. We, of course, do know that it takes a lot of energy and discernment to find a church. And so just uh, wanted to remind you, uh, we're offering pilgrimage coming up here Monday, September 9th as a way to get to know our church and figure out a way to join. You're not committing to join by taking it, um, but it's a wonderful way to take that step if you think that might be in the future for you. In October of 1944, a Jewish psychologist named Viktor Frankl was imprisoned at Auschwitz. His mother and brother would be murdered there. His wife would die in another camp. And a year after leaving Auschwitz, Frankel published one of the most influential books of the 20th century. It was called Man's Search for Meaning. And in that book, he shares what he learned in Auschwitz. And what he found was the prisoners that had a better chance of surviving found some kind of meaning in their suffering. And he quotes Nietzsche, a man who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. Meaningless suffering can stoke the fires of our anxiety. We, we're all created in the image of God. We have a dim memory uh, that somehow, some way we were built for purpose. And when suffering seems to have no meaning, it can, it can drive us almost literally crazy. A beloved parent descends into the misty swamps of Alzheimer's. Another romantic relationship falls apart. You have more questions than answers. A beloved child shows the first signs of autism. Another year passes in a boring job. A boss who apparently will never retire continues to run your department into the dirt and nobody seems to care. Another senseless shooting. Make that two. And we ask, what is the purpose? Why is this happening? And, and it makes us feel anxious. And, and, and then there's the, the meaninglessness of anxiousness itself. If you struggle with anxiety, if you're an anxious person, you don't want to feel that way. And you, you're left wondering, why? What is the point of this? I would so much rather spend this energy on anything else. This is such a waste. Well, finding meaning in suffering is one way for Christians to find God in their anxiety. And Romans 8.28 is a verse that Christians have long turned to to find meaning in their suffering. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, let's uh, first of all ask, what is the verse not saying? The verse does not say that all things are good. Christianity does not teach that sickness is an illusion. It doesn't teach that if you were spiritually enlightened, you'd really see that your cancer is a good thing. Christianity has a robust belief in the fall and in sin and in the brokenness of the world. As a matter of fact, just a few verses earlier, Paul says, we know the whole creation groans in pains of childbirth until now. 
Paul does also not make God the author of evil in this verse. He does not say that God causes opioid addiction and shootings at Walmarts. The verse does say something about us. and it says something about God, too. About us, it says we are people who love God and are called according to His purpose. We, we love God. We are in relationship with a being greater than ourselves. We've chosen to live in that relationship. And He's invited us to be a part of His purpose. Now, what... What is that purpose? Here's a couple of verses that, where Paul uses uh, that word. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who worked all things according to the counsel of his will. And then later in Ephesians, this grace was given to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's talking about this big plan that God has, this big project God is working on, this big story that God is telling, and, and where is it going? What's the climax? What's the point? Well, he talks about that in Colossians. If we could see that next one. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That's the eternal purpose. That's the ultimate goal. Uh, the, the Greek word for reconcile means to bring things back to the way that they were designed to be. And so that's what God is doing in, in all of the earth. There's a show on PBS uh, called This Old House. And uh, skilled contractors come together and they take an old home and restore it to its beauty. God is producing a show called This Old Universe. And he is restoring the universe to its intended beauty. And so we have been invited to share in this mysterious renovation project. We've invited to be a part of this big story. And that has a lot to do with anxiety. We need a meaningful story to make sense of our lives to not succumb to anxiety. We are created for story. Sandy and I have started listening to a podcast called The Moth. Um, about 20 years ago, a, a Georgia writer was kind of fed up with the, the fragmented nature of the way people were talking about things. And he called some people over to his porch on a Georgia island. And there was a big light and these moths were gathering around and they started to tell stories. And it turned into this international storytelling revolution. 1.4 million people listen every week to, the, to somebody tell a story on the moth. There, there are moth gatherings where people just tell stories all over the world. And as I was looking at the website, I was surprised at, at how religious the language was to describe it. People said that when they listened, they felt bound to one another, that they felt at peace, that they felt like there was some purpose and order to their lives. That's what story does. And we have a great story. That's who we are as Christians. Now, let's talk for a moment about this idea that God works all things, even bad things, even horrible things, even senseless things to bring about good. Uh, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, 
The Greek word for work means to partner with. And so the verse is not saying that God causes evil. He's saying that he can partner with, work with, take the worst things that happen in our lives and bring good out of them, help them ultimately further his purpose in the world, further your growth as a human being, further beauty coming out of ashes. And it's really important that we think about that and sink our teeth into that if we, if we want to make some progress with anxiety. Because if you are suffering tonight, or if you have gone through great suffering and it seems to have no meaning or purpose whatsoever and you are mad at God for letting it happen and you believe that your life has gotten off track and that you're living a bad story or worse, a chaotic story or worse, that there is no story, you will be anxious. Well, let's see if we can flesh this out a little bit. Let's just start... With anxiety itself, if you're an anxious person, you've probably thought, what is the purpose of this? This is such a waste. I would give anything to be like the, the, the chill person who's sitting down the aisle for me tonight. Well, as it turns out, a lot of people are suggesting that anxiety can actually play a very important role in our community, in the community that we're a part of. And think about this for a moment. Diane Fossey followed a tribe of chimps for several years. And she found that all chimp troops have a, a number of anxious members who retreat to the outskirts of the troop. And, and she decided, uh, I want to see what happens when I take the anxious members of the chimp community out of the community. So she took the anxious ones out. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> you know, here's a banana coming. I, I don't know. I don't know what it, what it looks like. But she takes them out, and here's where it's not funny. Six months later, the entire community was dead. The anxious chimps, overly sensitive to the slightest noise, were the ones who were awake at night. And they were listening to the danger. And they were the first early warning system for the chimp troop. God created them anxious because the community needed them to be extra sensitive. You know, we think that anxiety is a problem to be solved and it can be overwhelming and keep us from functioning. But sometimes anxious people are the ones in the community that are aware of danger and threat. They're the prophets. They're the poets. I read this statistic researching for this sermon. Poets are up to 30 times more likely to suffer from bipolar disorder than non-poets. Why? Because they're extremely sensitive to the highs and lows of life. And this sensitivity lets them see things that the rest of us don't see. It's part of their gift. One study actually reached out to people with bipolar disorder and said, if you could right now immediately take away your disorder, would you do it? 90% said, no. This is how God made me. This is how I am in the world. A writer, Glennon Doyle Melton, she says that depression and anxiety almost killed her. But listen to this. She says, but these conditions are also my superpowers. I am the canary in the coal mine, and you need my sensitivity because I can smell toxins in the air that you can't smell. 
I can see trouble you can't see, and I can sense danger you don't feel. So maybe your anxiety is actually part of how God made you, and maybe it's a gift to the rest of us. How else could anxiety possibly be good? Well, anxiety could be good when it makes us aware of unresolved issues in our lives. Claire Bidwell-Smith is a therapist and a writer. When she was 18, she had her first panic attack. More followed. Doctors couldn't figure out why. Years later, she had a discovery. She realized that when she was going to college, both her parents were dying from cancer and that her anxiety was a result of unresolved grief. And she went on to write a book called Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief. And what she has found is that client after client comes in with anxiety, and the root cause is they had not appropriately dealt with grief. And by the way, if, if you've had a significant loss and are struggling with anxiety and you haven't known why, I recommend her book, Claire Bidwell-Smith, Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief. Now, let's zoom out a bit more. What we're saying tonight is that you can find God, you can find peace in suffering when you step back and you realize that God brings beauty from ashes, that God can take your suffering and bring good from it. Uh, this week I came across some helpful principles to keep in mind when we think about suffering and a good God. Um, Suffering is not God's desire for us, but it occurs in the process of life. Suffering is not given to teach us something, but through it we may learn. Suffering is not given to punish us, but sometimes it is the consequence of our sin or poor judgment. Suffering does not occur because our faith is weak, but through it our faith may be strengthened. God does not depend on human suffering to achieve his purposes, but sometimes through suffering his purposes are achieved. Suffering can either destroy us or it can add meaning to our life. One of the kinds of suffering, mild as it is, that can cause anxiety is uh, aging. And it's interesting, I, I, I tend to be spending a lot of time with young people starting and older people ending. <laughs> and we're kind of both worried about the same thing. The younger person is often saying, I, I kind of feel like an imposter. I don't know if I have what it takes to do this. What if people find out I'm not trained to do this? And the older man or the older woman is often thinking, uh, I don't know if I have it left in me to do this. <laughs> I don't know if I have what it takes anymore. Um, Arthur Brooks wrote an essay for The Atlantic this summer. It went viral. and It has a jarring title. Your professional decline is coming much sooner than you think. <laughs> Here's how to make the most of it. He uh, is in his mid-50s, and he says, my professional life was growing very well, but I'd started to wonder, can I really keep this going? I work like a maniac, but even if I work 12 hours a day, at some point in my career, my career will stop. And then he surveys all this evidence about how most people in most fields decline much earlier than anybody thinks. 
But the essay's not as depressing as it sounds. And here's kind of the last part. He says, what he's found is that there's two kinds of intelligence, fluid intelligence, this ability to analyze and solve problems and innovate and do cutting edge research. That's the stuff that, that starts uh, entrepreneurs and tech startups. He says that usually peaks in one's 40s. But crystallized intelligence, in contrast, is wisdom the ability to apply knowledge gained in the past. And he says, here's how you age well. You realize that you can't work like a 25-year-old forever. You are not the same person. You don't have the same firepower. But as that goes away, you accumulate wisdom. And so in your later years, move more towards mentoring and teaching and coaching and nurturing and things like that. Well, I, I thought so much about uh, that, that article. Um, I, I, I had a tremendous privilege. My son and son-in-law, as I shared, took me backpacking in the uh, Black Canyon in northern Yellowstone uh, last week. Um, just a tremendous adventure. Um, and uh, most of it was really good. Um, <laughs> and one day, though, it was really hard and kind of scary. And, um, you know, I let the hippie to REI talk me into the organic bug spray. That was my first mistake. Um, <laughs> that I believe in uh, organic, but go DEET uh, if you're going to the back country. So we, we were getting destroyed by uh, mosquitoes, and we were about 15 miles back in, and we were hiking to the next site. And it was 8,000 square feet, and it was about 85 and sunny, and I didn't know what to do, so I put my jacket on to keep from getting bit. And so the, my boys, they, they run like gazelles, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to keep up. They're good about coming back and, and looking for me. And, and, <laughs> and, and then I notice uh, in the middle of the day from some physical symptoms and th that I was getting really dehydrated. And the way that we worked it out, my son and son-in-law know what they're doing. We had a map. We knew where the next stream was. We have a filtration system, and so we're going to get more water. And I was down about this much of my water bottle. I drank three that morning, and I could tell I was really dehydrated. And we finally got to the stream, and it was dried up. And it, is, it was so interesting. For, for a rare moment in my life, I didn't really care what happened to you. <laughs> I, I was thinking, if I don't drink, I'm going to die. And I didn't want to ask the boys for their water. And then fi finally I, I said, guys, I, I can't do this unless I drink your water. And we didn't know how far we had to go till we'd find water. And they, they gave me the water, and uh, we made it. And, and I look at that, and part of me thinks, Boy, aging just is bad. Um, <laughs> I, just, I just hate it. What is possibly good about aging? You know, I, I don't know how to describe this, but there's something very holy and sweet as well as humbling to say to your sons, I may die if you don't give me your water. And they do. It was a very tender moment. Uh, a few months ago, Young Life called to have a family camp at Windy Gap next weekend, and they said, hey, would you do it? And 
Sandy and I love Young Life and love the people. And so we, we said yes. And so I'll go up Friday. I'm actually going to do these four sermons, Friday night, two on Saturday, one on Sunday, and then come down here and, and minister. And uh, it sounded like a good idea at the time. Um, <laughs> and years ago, I'd have thought, this is awesome. Um, and sitting on the porch last night, I, I just realized, I, I, don't have, I don't have the same energy I used to have, and that's going to be a really difficult weekend. Um, what is possibly good about that? Well, it causes me to say to you, will you pray for me this weekend as I minister on our behalf to some families up in the mountains? Because I don't have, I'm not sure I have the resources uh, to, to get through the whole, the whole weekend. And I'm finding this as I age, that I'm becoming more dependent on, on others and on God. That's good, isn't it? I think that's good. Serious illness can really rob our joy. Many of you know that. Kate Bowler was a 35-year-old rising star at Duke Divinity School. And she was deeply in love with her husband, Tobin, just beginning life with a toddler named Zach. She has some stomach pains, goes into the oncology doctor. She realizes she has stage four colon cancer. And the prognosis is not good. And she wrote an op-ed for the New York Times called How Cancer Changes Hope. And essentially, she's a Mennonite. She's talking about God bringing good even out of her own death. She says... Uh, the terrible gift of a terrible illness is that it has, in fact, taught me to live in the moment. And losing my future, the mundane began to sparkle. The things I love, the things I should love, became clearer and brighter. This is transcendence, the past and the future experienced together in moments where I could see a flicker of eternity. Hmm. I hear this dear woman is dying and and, and yet her anxiety is calmed because she can see God in it. She can see her awareness increase. You know, God does promise us that suffering can bring about deeper character. Uh, Romans 5, 3 to 4. Um, I think I have that. Yeah. Uh, that's from another series. It's a good, it's a good slide. Uh, we, may not, we may not have it. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Bob does an amazing job at keeping up with this. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. You know, that, that can give us great hope in the midst of our suffering is that God is at work making us wiser, more loving, more gentle, more kind people. In Marjorie Williams' classic children's book, The Velveteen Rabbit, a little boy gets a velveteen rabbit in his stocking on Christmas and plays with the rabbit for a while, stuffs it in the box with the other toys. The other toys are mean to the rabbit as older toys are to new toys. And only the old skin horse treats the rabbit kindly 
And the old horse says, you know, rabbit, you can become real. And the rabbit says, real? How does this happen? Let me read this little portion. Real isn't how you're made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you when a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you. Then you become real. Does it hurt? Asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. <laughs> life can wear us down and loosen our joints but even then God is working for good making us real are you suffering tonight do you believe that God brings beauty from your ashes I mean, do you believe that he has enough resources to do that Are you holding on to wounds and trauma as a way of defining ourselves? An image came up in prayer of, of us walking in here with this big backpack of stuff from the past that we've decided God can't do anything with. It got, it, maybe we have this narrative of, of our failures that defines us, the, that God can't use me anymore because of my divorce or my bankruptcy or my infidelity or my loss of my job or the years I wasted or whatever it is. And we bring all that in like this big pack. Beloved, do you believe that God can use all of that for good? The worst thing that's happened to you, do you understand? He's that big. He's that good. Your addiction, he can use even that. Anxiety comes when we tell ourselves stories about our lives that just aren't true. It creates anxiety. When we embrace God's story, that God brings beauty from ashes, that gives us hope. Let's pray. 